Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. I'm going to ask you to go with me first to Luke chapter 1 for our core text for this series. Again, if you're kind of joining in on this Sunday for the first time in a while, just where we're at is the recognizing that John the Baptist had a unique assignment in terms of the ministry that God had called him to. He had an assignment of preparing the way for the coming of the Lord, calling God's people to prepare for the coming of Jesus. And this this same way-making anointing needs to be released into the church before the coming spirit of revival. And so the, uh, the grace that was on John the Baptist was actually spoken to his dad, his, his dad's name was Zechariah, who was a priest, and he was in the temple ministering to the Lord in the most holy place when God spoke to him about the son that would be born to him and the mantle that would be on his life. Luke chapter 1, verse 13 says this, the angel speaking to him says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So that's a five-fold anointing that is on this forerunner for the spirit of revival. And so we've already looked at the moving from wandering to reunion, that is backsliders coming back to faith in Jesus. Secondly, we looked at last week moving from powerlessness to reclaiming our prophetic voice. Today we're going to look at moving from hardness to tenderness, and that is the restoration of the family unit. And then we're going to look at disobedience, moving from disobedience to righteousness. And then finally, from being unprepared to having a holy expectancy. And so this text, verse 17, is where we're going to be looking at today as we, as we dive into this today. It says, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's a prophetic anointing. Specifically, what we're looking at today, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. One of the marks of Elijah's prophetic mantle is the restoration of the family unit, turning the hearts of fathers to their children. In Elijah's ministry, uh, the Bible talks about this uh, in, in 1 Kings 17, about how he had uh, a prophetic office. And, and when he was ministering in a certain area, there was a, a, a woman and her husband who had prepared a guest room for him that he would stay in that space. And that would be his headquarters for ministry. It was a, a, a prophet's quarters that she had created for the man of God. And he ministered there and he actually prophesied over that woman that she would bear a son. And in the passage of time that happened, that she actually conceived had a son and he grew up and in his young childhood the child became ill and then eventually the child died and so this woman is having a 
crisis of faith and she lays this dead child on the bed that she had prepared for the prophet when he was ministering there. She laid her child there and asked the prophet to come and pray for him. Now that is radical faith to ask someone to pray for someone that is dead. But there's that kind of faith that actually is truly what revival means. Dead things coming back to life. And so the prophet goes in and he prays for this child. He actually stretched himself out on the child three times and prayed. And the Bible says that that child's spirit returned to him. He came back to life and he returned the child to his mother. And that is, listen, literally revival in the family. It's a literal revival of the family. When there was death in the family and this prophetic office came to bring resurrection. Now, I'm not telling you something you don't know if you're awake and breathing. There's an attack on the family right now. Young people are being targeted with doctrines of demons. What do I mean? I mean ideologies that are fueled by hell itself. Well, that sounds like hyperbolic, you know, pastor preached, pastor talk. No, if your eyes are open and you're breathing, you can see there's some stuff that's being perpetrated that is just fueled by hell itself. These untruths and ideologies designed to destroy the quality of their lives as well as destroy their lives altogether and separate them from the God who loves them. And so what do we need? We need burning hearts. We need our hearts to burn for the Lord. And when our hearts burn for Him, this is what He does. He turns the hearts of fathers to their children. That is, He turns our hearts to burn for the generations to walk with us as we walk with God together. That we're not content to see a generation be lied to and robbed, but our hearts turn toward them and then actually burn for them and bring them into this relationship with God, with us. What do I mean? God was known to the nation of Israel. He was known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of grandfather, father, and son. Three generations named in one breath without generation gap. Three generations walking together. I believe this, that the local church is the place where grandparents, parents, and children can walk with God in harmony. Walk together in harmony. The local church is the place where multiple generations can know the same God to the same degree. Not that the older we get, we become more expert, and the young ones just have to be quiet and wait their turn and catch up. But the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is a God who works in sequential growth. He's a God who takes us from glory to glory to glory. God is wanting not for us to look at a previous time, a previous visitation, a previous revelation, a previous encounter or outpouring and say, boy, those were the good old days. Jesus, please come back and get us out of this mess. But he wants us to actually have faith to believe that the best days for the church and for a best days to have kids and be born and be raised is right now. That's faith. 
To actually live by faith and not by sight. If you're living by sight, you're scared to have kids. If you're living by faith, you understand God has an assignment for this generation to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in a diminished way or a hand-me-down way, but in a carried together, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob walking together in the purpose of God. That's how God does things. There's an anointing to build family in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe... We need that anointing. I believe we need that anointing. I, I don't think it's optional. I don't think it's like, well, okay. Like I, I think we need God's help. I know, <laughs> I know I need God's help. We need God's help. And he offers it. Isaiah 49, 25. If you don't know this verse and you're a parent, you need to circle this verse in your Bible, write it down, stick it on your fridge. This is what the Lord says, Isaiah 49, 25. I will fight those who fight with you and your children I will save. God takes an attack on your kids personally and he gets involved. I will fight those who fight you and your children I will save. God's committed to this next generation. God's committed to this next generation. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 127. Psalm chapter 127. And I believe that God wants to use this to put within us the anointing and the perspective of having our hearts turn from the generations toward one another as we walk in increasing grace. Psalm 127, we're just going to look at it, work through it for a few verses together for our purposes together this morning. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Let me say it again. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. What does that mean? That means God is a builder. Yes, God is a God of miracles. God is the one who can speak into nothing and create something. God is the one who can actually just create out of the word of his mouth and the universe comes into existence. God is a creator and a miracle worker. But hear me, God is also a builder. Not everything does he do by miraculous intervention, but God builds block by block and line by line with mortar and brick. He builds households of faith. Unless the Lord builds the house... Its builders labor in vain. Not only is God a builder, but he calls us to be co-laborers. God is a builder, and those who build the house, unless the Lord's building it, those who build, build in vain. So we're not sitting back asking God to do it. God, build my family. Nor are we just over here building on our own and just working with the bricks and the mortar of whatever's floating around in the uh, ether around us. We're building with what God is building, and we're coming alongside with what God is saying. We're aligning ourselves to his word. The way that God builds, this is the standard that we preach in this house. The way that God builds is the pattern that we look for and it becomes the manner in which we build. What do I mean? I mean, we take this word as the word of God. And that means that what God says here, we pattern our lives and our building after that. And we go after what God has said and we build our lives accordingly to be aligned with His Word. Amen? 
That's the standard. So this is what Jesus says about family. Matthew chapter 19, verse 3 to 9, says this. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Who knew that would be controversial? He said, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. In other words, that's not the plan. The builder had a plan. And I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, commits adultery. So Jesus is defining the family and the building components of the family. And what Jesus is saying that is that the family crafted in the image of God is male and female as husband and wife carrying within them the potential of co-creating life, which is a potential not available when any of those parts is separated from the other. What do I mean? I mean man separate from God or man separate from woman cannot create life. So there's a cord of three strands, man, woman, and God co-creating in the releasing of new life. That's the design of the family unit, which is not an opinion. It's what Jesus said, and we all just agreed that that is the word of God. Therefore, we build according to his pattern. This unique design is the master builder's plan for family. And God, here, here's, here's really, really, really easy theology. God is smart. God knows how to do stuff. And so when he's building family, God builds a house that is a solid house. God builds a house that is permanent and enduring. Here's the deal. The, what was said of Jesus is that he was the stone that the builders rejected. But he's now become the cornerstone. So what that means is, it's possible to build in a way that is not after the pattern of Jesus. That's possible. No, not a newsflash. We all know that. You can build in your own way. We can build in our own ideas. But the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That means that the cornerstone of our understanding of family is Matthew chapter 19, what I just read. That we understand this is how God builds. 
And so as followers and lovers and disciples of Jesus, then we take the cornerstone and we say, well, we're building on what he's building. Jesus said in a parable, he said, people who hear my words and just continue to do whatever they want to do are like people who build a home on a beach. It looks great on a sunny day, but when the storm comes, your house is gone. But he said, the people who take my words and put them into practice are like a wise man who builds his house on the rock that when the streams rise and the rain falls and the winds blow and beat against that house, that house will stand. There is a storm beating against the family. And it's on, the only way the family can stand is to be built on the words of Jesus. Jesus said that. All I'm doing is quoting him. That if we hear his words and put them into practice, it doesn't avoid storms, but when the storm comes, we can stand and endure because we're building not on the shifting sand or of the foundation of culture, which results in calamity, but we're building with the sure material and the sure word of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we want to do? We want to join what he is building. Amen? We want to join what he is building. Jesus is building families after this pattern. Back to the text in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. God calls for watchmen to stand on the wall. Now, in ancient times, watchmen were stationed on the walls of a city to look out for attackers that were approaching from a distance. What does that mean? That means that in ancient times, without radar, satellite, any type of imaging from a distance, the best you might have is some telescope or something, but in ancient times, what you just really had was a keen eye from a high point. And so cities were protected by fortification and they would build walls and watchmen were stationed on the walls all the way around the city to protect the inhabitants. And the protection was not the watchman's weaponry. The protection was the watchman's far out sight and loud voice. That they would look and see an attacker coming in a distance and they would raise a cry and the cry would be that the people needed to summon their strength and be ready for battle. A watchman isn't worth their job, isn't worth the title if they won't raise their voice and say there's an attacker coming. So unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, Watchmen watch in vain. Why? Because if I'm not watching with the lens of faith, then I'm welcoming in what is trying to attack me. But when I watch with the eyes of faith, the standard of God's word, and the burning heart of His Spirit burning within me, then I can see what's a threat and an attack, and I'm not fearful. I just raise the cry and say we need to be on guard so that the Lord is watching over this city and that the Lord is watching over our families. So this is, this is the, the reality is that the eyes of the Lord, this is what scripture tells us, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Everybody say the righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Who's, God's wa who's God watching? The righteous. Who's God listening to? The righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their, their cry. 
Well, Pastor Matt, are you saying that we're righteous? Well, if you, if you participated in communion this morning, you would have some theological understanding that you yourself are of your own device. You are not righteous. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But when we come to Jesus in humility and take him at his word, not just for salvation, but for building our lives, we come to him and we're washed clean and made righteous before God, made righteous in his sight. That's good news. We're made righteous. Then we're given grace to walk in righteousness in a way that we were previously powerless to do because we didn't have the Spirit of God burning on the inside. Now we have an instinct toward right living. And so the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are attentive to their cry. Psalm 127 is basically telling you this. God doesn't watch over every house or every city equally. He's watching over the home of the righteous. Those washed by His blood and living pure by the power of His grace. God watches over His word. Jeremiah 1 verse 12 says that I'm watching over my word to see that it is fulfilled. So God watches over this word and He watches over those who live according to this word. He watches over those who build their lives according to this word. That's what it is to be righteous. Washed by His blood and living by His word. Living by faith and not by sight. Are you following me? This is, this is the word of the Lord. So He's watching over the righteous. Not just our own moving standard of what we think is righteous because that is moving rapidly. That is changing on the daily. But God's standard and His Word is forever settled in heaven. So when I'm washed clean by the blood of Jesus, I'm now given a new nature. Not only am I forgiven, not only is my past sin forgiven, but I actually become a brand new creation. And I live with a clean slate of a new nature being placed within me that I live according to the standard of God's word. So God watches over the righteous and he watches over his word. Righteous people live according to his word. And he's watching over that city. He's watching over that household of faith. Psalm 127 verse 2. Back to our text. In vain you rise early and stay up late toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Just kind of a, a, a thought in the midst connecting to the next couple of verses that working hard, trying our best, working hard is vanity unless God is in it. How many tragic stories are there of people who pursue to live some version of the American dream, and the earlier they achieve it, the more depressed they are. You ever notice that? People who, with, when God's not in what they're building, they achieve the pinnacle of success, and they hate their lives. How many, how many stories of tragic rock stars are there? You know, they're 27 years old, they get all number ones, and they're dead. Because they, they can't stand the life that they have, they've worked so hard for. And when they achieve that success, the success rings hollow. Why? Because 
In vain you rise early and stay up late. If you're building in such a way that God's not in what you're doing, it's all just vanity and tirelessness. But God grants sleep to those that he loves. How many know we work from rest because Jesus has actually given us rest with God? We're not chasing after stuff. We're following after him. And so it puts rest into our work. Here's where I want us to land this morning. Verse 3 and 4. Sons are a heritage... From the Lord. Children are a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Now, this psalm is not skipping around from thought to thought randomly. There is a sequence of thought. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that build labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, those who watch over it watch in vain. It's vanity to work hard without God being in what you're doing. And then how does God build? And what is the means of God's building? Sons and daughters. God builds through reproduction. God builds with family. This is how God builds. Heaven's government is family. The local church is family. What Jesus is building is family. So, sons and daughters, that is offspring that bear the same DNA. Now, I'm speaking naturally and spiritually. That the Lord builds through sons and daughters of faith and sons and daughters born to those in the faith. When the Lord builds the house, He builds with new life. And sons and daughters are the inheritance of the righteous. The way that God watches over the city and the way that He builds the house is by building families. The family is God's design for community. It's God's design for for how we can do life in safety and nurture and strength. He builds families. This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew 19. Don't you know that in the beginning? This is how God did it. If you were a National Geographic reporter and you just you know, dropped into the Garden of Eden with a camera and a notebook, you'd look and go, hmm, with a, with a British accent. Look at the male. He's the father. It's more of an Australian accent, but there's the mother. There's the children. This is the family. It's not crazy conjecture or opinion it's the foundation that the creator built with and children are an inheritance from the lord let me say this over every parent in this house having children is spiritual warfare and i don't mean oh you're getting into some low down fight i mean Having children is declaring war and I'm believing God to keep his hand on my kids. It's declaring into the atmosphere, I trust God. It's declaring into the atmosphere that I trust that God is going to keep his promise to me and to a thousand generations. Verse 5 says, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, full of kids. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gates. What's that mean? That means that next generation ministry is spiritual warfare. It's why we minister to our kids. It's why we minister to our junior highs. It's why we minister to our youth. It's why we minister to our young adults. We're not favoring. We're recognizing that God's saying we want to fill the quiver with sons and daughters who have some spiritual DNA and understand that God's not just the God of my grandfather or my father. He's my God. Not just the God of Abraham. Not just the God of Isaac, but of Jacob too. 
that we inherit faith not just by storytelling, but as the testimony is spoken by mom and dad, and as prayers are prayed around dinner tables, and as priority is made for the house of God and for the work of God, and as they see faith being lived out, what's happening is our kids are saying, I'm hearing what my mom and dad are saying, like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that declaration of faith moves generations forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need a revival that fills the quiver with sons and daughters of faith. So what do we need? We need hearts that burn for the Lord. Every father in the room, hear me. Your kids need to hear you pray. And, and, and I have to say this, every time I talk about prayer, I have to say this because somehow prayer has become this thing that we feel like we have to be quote unquote good at. As if it was like, oh, I'm, I'm not good at, like, what are we, what are we doing, TED Talks? Like, like, I'm not good at it. What do you mean good at it? Like, did God say that? That prayer stinks. Try again. Like, <laughs> who are we talking to when we pray? We're talking to God. God's not up there with a scorecard going, oh, use some these and those. Let's take this Shakespearean, shall we? <laughs> prayer is to God. And so dads, listen, you don't have to be quote unquote good at prayer. You know, one of the biggest traps that we get caught in in our spiritual pursuit is the, the trap of being profound instead of just being faithful. Don't aim at being profound. Just aim at being faithful. Some of the best prayers are the, the mumbling trying to find the word ones because those prayers come right from the heart. God, I don't know what to say today with, with what Joey was just saying was happening at school. That's so I don't, I never experienced that, but I know that you can help him. That kind of prayer just says, I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. Fathers, your kids need to hear you pray. Mothers, your families need to hear the promises of God on your lips. Moms and dads, they, they need to hear us pray. They need to hear us recount the promises of God. What if, what if Abraham kept to himself? You know, I don't want to brag. God told me I'm going to be the father of many nations, but I don't want to brag. I'm just going to keep it to myself and see if God does it. The Lord will do it. I've got faith. Well, you've got faith, but you don't have wisdom, Abraham. What you need to do is you need to get the promise on your lips because if God is going to give you, uh, you know, descendants as numerous as the sea, then your one and only child needs to know he's got some responsibility in this. And the kids after him have some responsibility in this. Why? Not because God has grandkids, but because God watches over his word to perform it. They need to hear the testimony of God. They need to hear the promises of God. Abraham talked about his testimony and his promise from God. Isaac did too. Jacob did too. And then they walked it out together. I believe that God is calling us to be a family that burns for family. And that God, listen, there's no condemnation in this message. Wherever we find ourselves in the journey of faith with our families, understand this. God watches over his word, not your track record. And today's a good day to start praying. Today's a good day to start recounting the promises of God. And today is a good day to say, Lord, turn my heart toward the next generation so that we would see them built in the power of the Holy Spirit. How many are with me for that? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.